2 Timothy chapter 1. All that good singing has got me kind of warmed up a little bit. You know what it means when a preacher takes his watch off, right? <laughs> Nothing. Doesn't mean a thing. Yep. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to uh, talk about the influence of, of, of godly mothers and, of course, uh, grandmothers, uh, wives, uh, women in general. Uh, mothers do influence uh, sons and daughters. Grandmothers influence grandchildren. One of life's greatest blessings is to have the, uh, the influence of a godly woman, mother, grandmother, wife. Uh, so one of the greatest gifts that you can give your children or grandchildren is to be a godly woman, a godly mother. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's look at verse 5 here where it says, uh, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, Paul is saying to Timothy, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Uh, turn over to chapter 3. Let's read verses 14 to 17. Chapter 3, verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures that are able to make thee wise unto, uh, unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now we, we appreciate the influence of, of, of godly women, uh, but with the, you know, with the feminist movement, the gender confusion, the abject self-centeredness of, of, of millennial mothers these days has caused the, the status of motherhood to decline. Um, I'm not against mothers working by any means outside the home, and neither is God. We read Proverbs 31 this morning. Uh, she was a hard-working woman. She earned her own money outside. She owned her own business. Uh, the issue when it happens is, is, is whether it happens to accommodate culture or, or to needlessly you know, rise a standard of living. Um, you know, even, even Christians have adopted some of these trends. Um, and you know, there, there are economic reasons why women need to, 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 to work. But, but if, if, if the children become second place to, to the job, then, then things are a little bit askew. You know, um, if, if the pursuit of the job is, is, is above the pursuit of raising godly children, uh, then there's a little issue in priorities. Um, what we want to do this morning is, is, is kind of elevate uh, the role of godly mothers, godly women, by looking at the influence of, of a godly mother and grandmother uh, who happened to be Timothy's mother and grandmother. We saw in 1 Timothy 1, 5 that, that, that his faith came to him through his grandmother and his mother. Uh, the Apostle Paul's preaching may have been used to, uh, you know, by God to bring Timothy to actual conversion, but, but behind this preaching of Paul, there was the influence of two very godly women. In chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, we saw that that sincere faith of these godly women combined with the instruction that they gave Timothy from his earliest days in the scripture greatly influenced him. 
Their example and, and, and result in Timothy's life shows us that, that through faith and by honoring God's word, godly mothers, godly grandmothers have a great influence on, on their children. And if you influence your children, you influence your culture. So let's look back at chapter 1, verse 5. We see that, that godly women, godly mothers, godly grandmothers, they, they are women of sincere faith. It says, I uh, call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that, 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 is, in the, that, that, that is in thee. All right, now, as, as Paul, you know, Paul liked Timothy. He, he was very fond of Timothy. And, and as he thought of Timothy and his sincere faith, he was reminded that, that this faith dwelt first, not in Timothy, but it, it went back a couple of generations to Lois, his grandmother, to, to Eunice, his mother. Now, we don't know when these women had come to faith in Christ, uh, you know, even though they had Greek names. Um, you know, at, at, at least Eunice, we learned from Acts 16, was a Jewish believer. Uh, maybe Lois had been converted in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Maybe she had come to tell her daughter. We just don't know. Uh, maybe both women were devout Jews who responded to Paul's preaching. We just don't know for sure. And then he visited Lystra, and, and there they met. But the implication is, is that their faith, the faith of, of, of this grandmother and this mother, predated that of Timothy. And it's not a stretch to say that if Timothy had not had the influence of his godly mother and godly grandmother, he may very well have not come to faith. We know Timothy's dad uh, from Acts 16 was apparently a Greek unbeliever. Uh, now, we have no clue as to why a godly woman like Eunice would have married a pagan in, in, in that culture, but, uh, you know, we can only speculate. But anyways, he had a Greek dad, a Jewish mom who loved God. We do know that the Bible forbids those kinds of marrying of unbelievers, but, but Eunice's story is in Scripture, and I think it gives hope to women that are in mixed marriages. Uh, if her son Timothy could grow up and follow the Lord as he did, then God can do the same for any woman who is married to a man that, 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 that is uh, passive or even hostile to the Lord. And while God does intend fathers to take the lead in spiritual training of the children, mothers still have a great influence. You know, one prime quality which uh, such a woman needs to have, it says in verse 5, is this unfeigned faith. Now, unfeigned literally means not hypocritical, not two-faced. You know, it's possible to have a hypocritical and not genuine form of faith. And that phony faith is the mask that's put on in front of church members or it's put on in the public, but then it's set aside in the home. And, you know, the parents may be fighting as they drive into church. They get to the church parking lot. They put on their church smiles, you know, and, and you know, they act as, as if everything is okay. You know, kids can smell phoniness a mile away. You know, the story is told of one pastor preaching on the importance of daily Bible reading. And when the pastor and his wife were invited over to this church member's home, the pastor's wife noticed on, on the calendar there, uh, the date circle is his pastor and missus for dinner. Dust all Bibles, you know. Um, give you a minute for that to sink in. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, see, somebody got it. Good, thank you. Yeah. Having a sincere faith does not mean perfection, but it does imply reality, living real with God. 
Such faith dwelt in this mother and grandmother. It was at home in them. It was comfortable with them. An everyday sort of thing. Sincere faith means that you sincerely believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You sincerely, seriously live for him. It means that, that you confront yourself with Scripture and that you judge your sin on the thought level. It means that when you do sin against a family member, you ask for their forgiveness, and you seek to work on, on, on your weak areas. It means that you develop godly character qualities and attitudes of submission and thankfulness and joy to the Lord. Your kids will realize that even though mom or grandma is not perfect, they still know God, and they walk with him. So not only are godly mothers and grandmothers of sincere faith, but they seek to hand off that faith to their children or grandchildren. See, hypocritical faith, that, un, that, that, that feigned faith, the, the two-faced faith, that, that can't be handed off. If, if, if the mom or grandma is a phony, the kids won't want anything to do with that, that version of Christianity. But, but genuine faith, it's, it's contagious Timothy's face could be traced back through two generations, through his mother, to his grandmother. He could see the Lord in them, and that, that, that gave him, if I can say, a sensitivity to it. It attracted him. Now, how do you, how do you hand off your faith to your kids? Well, one of the main ways you do that is, is training them in the Word of God. We see this in chapter 3, 14 through 17. In the most reliable manuscripts, in verse 14, the whom is plural, pointing to Lois and Eunice, as well as Paul, the phrase knowing from whom you have learned them, points to the reality of God's word uh, in, in, in Lois, in Eunice, and in Paul himself, influencing Timothy. He could look at their lives and see that scripture was a reliable book. You know, while parents should be the, the primary agent of teaching God's word to their children, your parents still need to pray for godly mentors for your children, um, like Paul was to Timothy. Don't be jealous uh, to, to, to think that, that you're the only one that should be influencing your children for God. You are the primary, mom and dad, the primary influence. But allow other godly people to influence and mentor your children as well. The main way that your children will grow up to love and serve God is through his word. We know from James chapter 1 verse 18 that God's word is powerful to save his people. We know from John 17, 17 that God's word is powerful to sanctify his people. The best thing that you can do for your kids is to instill in them at an early age the importance of, of themselves reading and studying and memorizing and then obeying what God says. Now, how do we do that? Well, a mother first has to grow in her own love for God's word. You can't impart what you don't possess. The kids seldom see you seeking God through his word. They are not going to catch it themselves. If they don't see you changing through your growing understanding of, of, of obedience to God's word, they won't be motivated to obey God's word themselves. If the TV's on every night, then you know, the scripture, several read, scripture is seldom read as a family, then the kids are going to see what is most important. 
Your kids should be able to see evidence of your love for God in you. I strongly encourage you to begin reading the scriptures to your children, even when they're very young. I mean, stick to just the story portions until they're old enough to handle, you know, like Romans, you know. Um, that, that, that may be a while, but, but you can prime the pump, so to speak, right? Uh, you, can, you can buy Bible storybooks that have simple text and a lot of pictures. One of the best ones we found is called the Brick Bible. It's a Lego Bible, right? Very accurate, has Lego pictures in it. Our grandkids love this, and it's... Um, it's, it's, it's generated a lot of questions uh, from our grandkids to their parents, which is great. It's exactly what you want. As they grow older, you can read more family-oriented books with Bible applications, but the key is to start early and continue. See, godly mother will use God's word to lead her children to a saving faith in Christ. Verse 15 says, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. See, salvation is built on the knowledge of truth that is revealed in Scripture. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Children need to know more than just Jesus wants to be your friend, so invite him into your heart. All right? there's, 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 there's so much more than that. Children need to know uh, that, that God, God's word reveals in them uh, their, the, 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 the condition of their heart, that, that they are rebellious and disobedient towards God. Your, your, your child, your grandchild may be a perfect angel to you, but let's not forget they're just little sinners <laughs> that haven't figured out how to fully express their sin nature yet. They need to see that in the word of God. They need to not only know that God is loving, but he, they also need to know that he is holy and just and, 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 and that he will bring terrible, everlasting punishment on those who do not turn from their sins and turn to Christ. They need to know what Christ did on the cross, dying as their substitute. They need to understand that God forgives our sin because of his kindness apart from anything that they do. They need to know that saving faith is, as opposed to an empty profession, uh, you know, the empty profession does not result in salvation, but true saving faith does. As you read scripture to your kids, they'll learn about people who, who turn from their sin and turn to God and were saved. They will hear of others who made wrong choices, who loved their sin more than God, and their lives were ruined. They will hear, 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 hear stories of children whose parents were godly, but the children did not follow God. And of others whose parents were ungodly, vile, and wicked, but whose children followed the Lord. They will learn that each person is accountable before God themselves. And as you read scripture to them, pray that God will use it to convict them of their sins, to show them their desperate need of salvation, and cause them to trust in Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If you see, you know, if you use simple illustrations, even, even young children can understand and, and, and be genuinely converted to Christ. See, we need to be careful not to assume that, that just because the child is young, and, and, and they've asked Jesus into their heart that they're really saved or that they're really not. 
You know, he may or may not be, but always, always leave the door open to, to reapproach the subject. Make sure that your child knows that they will not disappoint you if they come to you with doubts or with questions. You can look for evidence of genuine salvation. I, I mean, is he, is, is, is he sorry about his sin? Is he sensitive to sin? Does, does he show a growing love for God and his word? Does, does he want to walk or learn about the things of God? Does, does he want to please God with his life? It seems that the easy believism, especially with children, is a major danger of the modern evangelistic methods, but... And we have to back up a little bit and remember that, that the child isn't saved just because you want them to be. The child's not saved because you said they are or because you told them they are. We have to remember that the same Holy Spirit that indwelt you at salvation will indwell your child at salvation. And the Holy Spirit can, can translate spiritual things into a level that your child can understand that even at a young age because of the Holy Spirit's work there can be fruit and evidence of his work in your child's heart and mind if you want to I'm going to recommend but I don't do that very often I'll recommend a book to you Um, there's a chapter that shows the stark contrast between you know days of old around church things and today uh, it's in Spurgeon's uh, autobiography, uh, volume one, it's chapter six. Um, I'm going to read you part of it, uh, kind of bits and pieces of it here. It's his autobiography. You can get it from Banner of Truth if you want. But for over 20 pages, Spurgeon goes on and on describing the mountain of guilt he was under from the age of 10 to the age of 15. He is so graphic and consumed with his own sinfulness that I'm sure that if he had lived today, we would have wanted to take him to a Christian psychologist. You know, so this kid is nuts. He says this, For five years as a child, there was nothing before my eyes but my guilt. And though I do not hesitate to say that those who observed my life would have not seen any extraordinary sin. Remember, his, his dad was a Victorian uh, minister in England, so... But he says, yet as I looked upon myself, there was not a day in which I did not commit such gross, such outrageous sins against God that often and often I had wished I had never been born. Remember, he's, he's 10 to 15 years old here. Now, after many pages describing his guilt for disobeying God's law and his fear of being condemned, he says this on page 72, When I was brought down to see my corruption, my wickedness, my filthiness, for God always humbles the sinner whom he means to save. Earlier in the chapter, Spurgeon tells how every uh, Sunday evening his mother would stay home with the kids and and read and explain scripture to them and and, and plead with them to think about the state, the condition of their souls, and to seek after God. He remembers one time hearing his mom pray this. Imagine your mother praying this. Now, Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from ignorance that they perish, And my soul must bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold on Christ. Can you imagine a mom praying that? Now we think that'd be horrible. No, that's a mom that loves her kids. That's what that looks like. 
He says on page 44, That thought of a mother bearing swift witness against me pierced my conscience and stirred my heart. Story goes that often Spurgeon's father would be uh, away from home preaching, and once he was on his way to a service, and, and he felt like he was neglecting his family and caring for them and caring for their souls. So he turned around and went back home, and he snuck, snuck back in the house, and when he came back in, everything was quiet except for the voice of his wife in the bedroom praying for their kids. And he listened and heard her earnest pleading uh, for, for the salvation of her children, especially strong-willed Charles, who was the firstborn. His father thought that with his wife caring so well for the spiritual interests of the children, the book says he could go on with the Lord's business, so he left and he went to the preaching engagement without disturbing him. See, mothers have an incredible influence. They can get a hold of God's ear like nobody can. So a crucial task for a godly mother, a godly grandmother, is to pray for and use scriptures to lead each of their children to Christ. A godly mother will also train her children on how to live by God's word. It's not enough just to know it, you have to live by it. God's word is mighty to save, but it's also sufficient. Second Timothy, no, Second, Second Peter chapter 3, uh, one, 1 through 4, so that we have all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ. It's profitable for teaching us the ways of God, we see back in 2 Timothy 3. It reveals the very thoughts and intents of our heart, Hebrews 4.12 says. It reproves us, which means it convinces us of our wrongs. It corrects us by showing us how to get right with God and to get right with others. It trains us in righteousness, showing us how to keep the path of obedience and blessing. See, Scripture is not given to satisfy our curiosity or to, or to give us just some interesting stories. It's given to be profitable for the way we live to correct us and keep us on, 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 on you know, walking after Christ and holiness. Our kids should see us applying Scriptures and, and, and we should teach them how to apply it in the things that they face as they grow spiritually. Use God's word to lead your children to a saving faith in Christ, train them in the ways of the Lord, then it follows then that number three, godly mothers will have a great influence on their children. I mean, who knows what lifelong influences Lois and Eunice had on Timothy. I mean, sure, he was strengthened greatly with his relationship with Paul, but the foundation was laid by two godly women. It is not too much to argue that uh, world history is shaped in the home by godly women. Spurgeon again says, uh, Never could it be possible for any man to estimate what he owes to a godly mom. Certainly I have not the powers of speech with which to, with which to set forth my valuation of the choice blessing which the Lord bestowed on me in making me the son of one who prayed for me and prayed with me. How can I ever forget her tearful eye when she warned me to escape from the wrath to come? How can I ever forget when she bowed her knee and with her arms about my neck prayed, Oh, that my son might live for thee. President Theodore Roosevelt said, when all is said, 
It is the mother, and the mother only, who is a better citizen than the soldier who fights for the country. The successful mother, the mother who does her part in rearing and training aright the boys and girls who are to be the men and women of the next generation is of greater use to the community and occupies, if she only would realize it, a more honorable and as, as, as well as more important position than any man in it. The mother is the one supreme asset of national life, he says. She is more important by far than the successful statesman or businessman or artist or scientist. That is, that is, that is not, not to disparage a crucial role godly fathers play, but it is, it is to encourage you in the crucial role that godly women play, that godly mothers, godly grandmothers, godly wives play in the lives of their kids. So let me ask you, are you a godly mother? Are you a godly grandmother? And if not, where do you start? Well, God always honors repentance. You turn back to him, confess your sin, begin to obey him right where you are. As a Christian couple, you may have to to consider having the wife quit work to spend more time at home with the kids. If God allows that, great. But if it doesn't happen, don't feel condemned or guilty. Even if the children are grown, God will honor your repentance. You go to them, ask forgiveness for the failings to be an example of godliness or a failure to train them in God's ways. God can use you as he used the grandmother and the mother in Timothy. Walk with God in sincere faith now. Use his word now to influence your kids and grandkids. Allow God to use you now as a training instrument in the children you have influence over. See, then you'll be a mighty, mighty influence in our nation because you will have influenced your children who will then go and change their culture for Christ. Think, well, I'm just a mom. No, you are not just a mom. You control the destiny of your children. Walk with God and train your children to walk with God. Stand with your heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. Father, this morning we want to thank you for this opportunity to recognize women that you have worked in and influenced for your glory. We thank you, Father, for for the godly women who sacrifice so much. And Lord, you you know the way you've made us men. We can be dense. We uh, don't notice things we should. Our priorities are often askew. Lord, you have created the minds of women to work in such a unique way. And Father, thank you for your creative wisdom in creating us male and female. And thank you for their sensitivity to the things that concern you. And I pray, Father, that you would work in all of us, that we walk with you closer, that we take your word more serious. And help us, Lord, to be um, 
and encouragement to the godly women in our lives, to express our thanks, our gratitude both to you and to them for the way that you have used them to change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Keith, would you come ahead, please? Okay, take your hymn books. Down two. Uh, we're going to go to page 500, a little bit different closing song. Um, it's 500. Who is on the Lord's side? We'll sing the first and the third.